0: Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. For more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. All right, so a little review, a couple things I want to clear up. Zephaniah is not only a prophet, he's a royal. And God used him as a royal to speak truth to other royals of his day. And it was stout, heavy, heavy. Truth. God was saying things like this. I will utterly consume everything from the land. In in, in verse 5 of the first chapter, he said, I will stretch out my hand against Judah. In other words, it's not just, you know, if you think, Judah, you're off the hook, and it's everybody else, Judah, I'm after you as well. And, And here's the deal. The Lord is making his case because Judah, his own people, his covenant people, were worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth and Moloch these other gods, and they were causing their children to pass through the fire, meaning they were offering their kids as sacrifices, killing their children in the name of these other gods, they were sexually perverse, they were deviant, they even worshipped Nahushtan, which was that serpent on the stick back in Moses' day that he held up, and people that were bitten by a snake could look on it and live, now they've turned it into an idol, they're worshipping it, It's, it's horrible. But here's what I want to remind us of. Uh, what I want to remind us of again, and it's, it's it's this. It's it's sometimes it's easy to miss when we look at God condemning the sin. Okay, slamming the sin that was going on. Sometimes we we think that that God is scared of sin. That God can't tolerate sin because He's so holy, He's afraid He might get dirty from the sin. And, And it's just the way we think of it, you know? Like when you get all dressed up, you put your Sunday best on. I know when I put my Sunday best on, which has been a good bit lately. Some of you are really happy about that. I'm putting my Sunday best on. When I walk out with my Sunday best on and my dogs have been outside digging in the mud and they come in. I'm like, no, 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 get out, get out, boys, get out, get out. Because if they grab me, y'all know how has you dog people. It's you're gonna have a mess on you, right? We tend to think in human terms on God, like God's all holy and clean, and He's afraid that His people's sin's gonna get on Him. It's not that at all. Not that at all. Here's the problem. Here's the and, and or or that He's mad. He gets mad at people, like, you stupid sinners, I'm going to wipe you out. I'm just going to kill you all. Like, like, that's the way he looks at it. God's not in shock. God's not scared. He's not pitching a fit, wanting to wipe everybody out. The problem with, with like, Zephaniah and these, these prophets, the problem is this. These were his covenant people. God was in a covenant relationship with them. They were set apart for covenant purposes. And the ultimate end of covenant purposes was to get Messiah into the earth. That was the big picture. That was the long game. Was for Jesus the Christ to be born. For there to to be a Mary from the tribe of Judah. For there to be a Joseph. and, And so that Christ could be born. That was the ultimate end. And these behaviors were a threat To that plan. So all of what God was saying. And all of what God was doing. Even as far as I will utterly consume everything from the land. And I'm coming after you Judah. It all sounds bad. And it is. Judgment is is bad on us. But the greater good is what was at stake. And the greater good was Messiah being born in the earth. And so God was having to straighten out His Covenant people. It's like Noah's flood. I've preached about it, taught on it many times. God would do bad. I mean, estimates are there were 10 million people wiped out in the flood. I've seen estimates as high as 30 million people. You've got millions of people wiped out in the flood. It and, and people will say, How could God do that if God loves people? If God is love. Have I mean, you ever thought that? Then how could he wipe out all those people? Didn't he care? Well, yes, he cared. But he had set a plan into motion, and Noah was the last man standing. And there was a threat to the plan. It was a grace-faith plan. It required a human being that had faith. Jesus said one time, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Noah was the last man standing. You know this from Genesis 6 when it says, the eyes of everyone in the world was evil only only continually. Their heart was only evil continually. That's what they were looking to do was evil But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah was this last guy that built altars, called on the name of the Lord, that had faith. What is building an altar like? Literally, think about this. Getting a bunch of stones, piling them up, Going and getting an animal, cutting the throat, putting it on the altar, burning it, raising your hands and say, I'm looking to you for salvation, almighty God. What's the significance of that? He was putting his faith in the lamb, looking through time to the lamb of God. He did not understand all of that. But he was looking to the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. In the same way that we look back when we repent, when we say, Lord, would you forgive me of the things I've done wrong? We're looking back to that point in time where the lamb was slain. He was looking forward. So he was the last man standing that had that faith. You could say maybe Mrs. Noah and his boys had it and the daughters-in-law. But we don't know that for sure. It just says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. They had sense enough to listen to him. And they got on the boat. What I'm saying is... The Lord was protecting the faith by bringing the flood. And it was brutal. But the greater good was, if I lose him, I lose the whole thing. I lose the whole shooting match. Everything hinges. This big door swings on this little hinge. I have got to keep my man in faith, or these people could override his faith steal him away get him delusional and so he saved the faith it's similar when Abraham was dealing with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and the Lord said I'm going to go wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah why besides that they were unjust in their dealings they dealt with the poor bad all kind of other issues we see it in other prophecies but does God hate uh, you know, people like is is that what he's like? Oh, they're so bad! I, my eyes can't tolerate this. No, they were a threat to Abraham, and Abraham was the father of the faithful. And so Abraham's dealing. You know, he's like, if there's fifty righteous, if there's forty righteous, if there's th- if there's ten, and the Lord said, I'll I'll spare the city for ten, but there's not ten, Abraham. And then Abraham relented, and Lot got out and by the skin of his teeth. But the bottom line is, it was a threat to the plan. Are you with me? So, here's the deal. Just to remind you, the devil's a liar. Your sin doesn't scare God. Your rebellion doesn't scare God. Your bad attitude doesn't scare God. You're not the first one he's ever dealt with, and you won't be the last. He's got blood for that, man. He's like, he's got what it takes to to take the sin away, no matter how bad it is. We believe in prison ministry, and there's all kinds of people in prison. They got busted, and some of them did some really bad things. The blood of Jesus covers all of that. The blood of Jesus is enough to cover the sins of Adolf Hitler and Jeffrey Dahmer and whoever you want to think of that you think of as so bad. And we tend to think of others as so bad, and ourselves as maybe not, but but the thing is, sometimes we do think of ourselves as so bad that God couldn't, he couldn't forgive us. God, Your sin is not a problem to God. It's not a problem to God. And, and as a matter of fact, he, he can totally wipe out your sin. But I will say this. If you become a threat to His plans and purposes, He'll warn you. But if you refuse to change... He'll, he'll remove you. He'll take you out of the way. Whatever it takes. He'll move you out of the way. You're like, oh, I, I, oh, God, that's so hard. Uh, well, he'll give you grace to, to repent, space to repent, but he will roll over you if he has to. Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira. They were a threat to this brand new church, the Genesis of of the new testament church they're lying and conniving they're a threat and god gives them space now with ananias and Sapphira, i'll tell you right now is a little space it was a little bitty space it was like what what have you done Sapphira or an- ananias oh well, we bought this property and did this and that and the other with it really it, he had to have an english accent Really? It's like, oh, yeah. And he, and, and he fell over dead. Sapphira comes in. They've done taking her husband off to bury him. She comes in. Oh, here I am. You know, here's this. What have you done, Sapphira? A little space, just a little space. This is the New Testament. This is not the Old Testament. But they were a threat. That's a really difficult truth to grab a hold of, that God in this day, because I believe if He did it in Acts chapter 2, hey, we, we, speak, we say, if they spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2, then they'll speak in tongues today. And if they were baptized in Jesus' name in Acts chapter 2, they'll be baptized in Jesus' name. And if He knocked them out dead in Acts chapter 5, well, I don't know about that, right? We, we don't want that one. We want the gifts of the, and the gifts of the Spirit were involved. The Lord revealed revealed to Peter uh, what had happened. He he had a word of knowledge. I know what you did. Did you do this? Mmm. Gifts of the Spirit they edified, you know what, you know what was edified? The body of Christ. <laughs> but but you know who wasn't edified? Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias, so but they had a space of grace. Come clean. Uh now that's that's bad enough, but in our revelation series, this is the one that blew my mind, Revelation chapter 2. There was a prophetess in Thyatira, and she was either named or nicknamed Jezebel. She was an absolute abomination, pure evil, an influencer who was wicked on the church of the church of Thyatira. She was wicked. If you go back to Jezebel in the Old Testament, this is one of the worst people of all time. She was she influenced the people of God to, to go after these Baals and Ashtoreth and Molech and these other gods and to offer their kids in the fire and sacrifice, kill their babies in the name. Like, listen, from God's perspective, it's not just that they were killing the innocent, killing babies, killing helpless, defenseless babies. It's not just that they were doing that which is wicked, wicked vile. You kill a man that can fight, you kill a woman that can fight, that's bad. But you kill a child, an innocent, I'm telling you, that is vile. And she was the cause of them doing that. But it wasn't just that they were killing kids, it was killing the next generation of believers they had they were to be raised and taught hero israel the lord our god he is one lord and you'll worship him with all your soul they were killing off that next generation what was the deal the enemy was trying to stop messiah from being born in the earth that was what that was all about that was the long game the devil plays the long game you and i got to understand that He's after the plans and purposes of God. He don't care about you. He don't care about your business. He don't care about your family. He doesn't care about you. He cares about thwarting the plans and purposes of God. And what your kids could do for God, God will try to get you to sabotage it so they never live up to their calling and their potential. That's powerful. And so that's really what he was doing and here you have a woman in the church at Thyatira doing the same type of stuff i think it's a nickname she was given that name and she's spiritual yeah she's spiritual all right and she was she was teaching the people to sin with no conscience, without consequence. There's no big deal. God doesn't care. Just like the devil does. God doesn't care about that. God did not care about this. God doesn't care about that. And so they're just going crazy and offering their kids on the altars of these false gods, in a sense, letting them grow up. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you draw your lines. Word of God doesn't matter. All that matters is, you know, I don't know exactly what she said that did matter, but her being that wicked... The Bible says in Revelation 2 that God gave her, Jesus says it directly to John, I gave her a space to repent. Jezebel. She's even got a false god name. Jezebel. Gave her space to repent. But he also said, well, look at that. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. We we went deep into that in our studies. It's an amazing, amazing thing to me. We we write we write people off easy, right? Oh, I got I I'm going to get into Zephaniah. I promise you, I will. But we write people so, and I won't be all night. I, I won't be like an hour. I, I, I won't. Be, but we write people off so easy. They're like, oh, they did this, you know. The older I get. I've been in, shocking to me, right? 17 years here, planted a church. We were there five years in Maryland, evangelized, traveled itinerant preaching, you know, for years. So I, I've got, I got a lot of years in ministry. We've got a lot of years in ministry. And the longer I've been in ministry, the more I realize, don't write people off. They can be horrible cancelable do terrible things and God'll give them a space to repent and if they repent you you got to say you're my brother you're my sister you know like thank God thank God you finally got some things right now you know depending on the circumstance your relationship personally interaction all that stuff may or may not be the same but you've got to respect what god has done in their life jezebel uh, listen if if he gave her a space to repent and she repented it would be like well it's so good to have sister jezebel back you know (laughs) maybe she transferred churches went over to thessalonica you know it's so good to have sister sister jezebel i see she has a letter from her pastor and her pastor says sister jezebel is she's a good woman she had a few issues, but she's right with God now. So I'm just saying, God gives us space to repent. Thank God for it, or we'd all be a greasy spot on Tiggy Duplessis Road, right? So, keep that in mind when you hear all the doom and gloom. As he calls out their sin in Zephaniah and these other prophets, God's not a weak, xenophobic God. He's a consuming fire who has plans and purposes that he will get accomplished in the earth. And most of these prophecies in Zephaniah, I mentioned it last time, they did not come to pass or they were delayed because Zephaniah prophesied for 10 years and Josiah listened to him and repented and led and instituted a reform in Judah that allowed the plans and purposes of God to move forward. And so Zephaniah was not a false prophet. It's just that, and we'll see it here in a minute as well. There was this idea of, if you repent, I won't do that. Thank God for repentance. Verses 1 and 2. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Twice he says that. Get together. Gather yourselves together. Here's a solemn convocation. It's supposed to be one of national mourning and corporate repentance before the decree is issued. So here you have this judgment announced. We see it in verse uh, chapter 1. Here in chapter 2, we, we understand it's coming. It's a warning. But it's also an invitation to repent. And that's how most of the prophecies are. Here's doom and gloom, doom and gloom coming, but If you will repent, it doesn't have to be this way. So there's often that. Repent before it's too late. He says the day passes like chaff. So there's a sense of urgency because every day is moving quick, you know. It's already October right at it. What? Where did the year go? That's how time flies, you know. Each day passes like like chaff. There's nothing to show for the day if we neglect what's most important. Getting right and staying right with God. So, the day's passing and never getting right with God. You know, there used to be a song. People used to sing it. About tomorrow. Who did that song? Uh, the Winans. The wine is Tomorrow. I give my life tomorrow. Oh my goodness. Anybody remember that? Thank you, Milton. The only one in the house. Uh, great song. And it's just talking about your tomorrow may never come. The time to get right with God is right now. And that's what's being said here. The days they just they just pass like that. And Here's the deal. The devil often lies to us, and this is one of his most powerful lies. Don't get in a hurry. Just not today. Just not today. Don't don't worry about it. There's no need to rush. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Like, right now is the time. The devil will also lie to us, and I'll say this because... Uh, It's such a truth. It is such a truth. And all these years of ministry, I've definitely seen this. The devil will say, you've gone too far. It's already too late. There's no use. He'll never forgive you. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. You might as well just forget about it. But I'm here to say, the devil is a liar. And God's grace reaches so much further than our failures and mistakes. And the time to get right with God is now. Verse 3, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. I think that's self-explanatory. You need to be meek. You need to have a right attitude. Here's a dangerous time. And if you'll turn to the Lord, it may be that you're hidden. A lot of scholars will take this to the Great Tribulation and, and speak of, of people who escape the wrath of the Lord. And we've talked about end time events. So you have the rapture of the church, but then you also have people that get saved during the great tribulation. And so here you have Luke 21, 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So Luke 21 is dealing with the great tribulation. And it says that you would be counted worthy to escape. And so you have to say that If you have a right attitude with God, you can escape the Lord's anger. Verses 4 through 7. But I believe I'm going up in the rapture first. Amen to that in Jesus' name. Uh, As Brother Tinney used to say, I'm on the first train out of here, right? Verses 4 through 7. For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast! Well, you can say that in Florida right now. Lord, be with them in Jesus' name. The nation of the Cherithites, the word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you, so there shall be no inhabitant. The sea coast shall be pastures with shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there in the houses of Ashkelon. They shall lie down at evening. For the Lord, their God, will intervene for them and return their captives. Gaza, for say you You've got judgment coming against an unrepentant Judah, but he's also reaching out to these neighboring nations that have harmed Judah and influenced Judah in bad ways. And so here you have the cities of the Philistines being promised to, uh, the Lord promises to destroy them. And he's saying that I'm turning your land into pasture land, Mercy statement here, notice, for the remnant of the house of Judah. There's always a remnant. Remember when Elijah was like, I'm all alone. I'm the only one that loves you, God. And God said, no, I've got 7,000 more that haven't bowed the knee. This is in the days of Jezebel. And so there's always a remnant. And so he says, I'm going to give them your land, these, these surrounding nations. And the cherithites Uh, probably Crete. That's what a lot of theologians say. Uh, Verses 8 through 11. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon. Keep that in mind. Moab. Everybody say Moab. Everybody say Ammon. With which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. This is... This is an oath as I live. I mean, God's alive, right? As I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom, and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them, and the remnant of my people, there again, shall possess them. This is. They shall have for their pride, because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome to them, and he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his place, indeed all the shores of the nations. So I've heard the reproach of Moab, the insults of the people of Ammon. So God's looked to the west and saw the Philistines. He looked to the east and saw the Moabites and the Ammonites. And he says, I'm going to judge you, and it's going to be perpetual desolation. Um, I don't want to get gross or anything, but Moab and Ammon, they came from the incestuous relationship between a drunk lot and his daughters. And that's why they fled Sodom and Gomorrah. And so for this to say, they will be... Left like Sodom and Gomorrah, there is a connection there. The Lord will be awesome to them, reduced to nothing, all the gods, blah, blah, blah. I shouldn't say blah, blah, blah. That's the the word of God. I'm I'm trying not to read the whole thing. (laughs) That's the Hebrew, blah, blah, blah. God would glorify himself among the nations. And one way he would do it was to bring the idols of those nations to nothing. Proving. Idols are vain, and God is God, and God is God alone. Verse 12, you Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword. So he's kind of like, oh, by the way, you guys in the south. So he's done the north, he's done the west, he's done the east, the north, and the south. He's just covering it all. You Ethiopians, uh, judgment. Uh, Well, he's done the east, the west, and the south. He's about to hit the north. Verses 13 through 15, he will stretch out his hands against what? The north, destroy Assyria and make Nineveh a desolation as dry as the wilderness. The herd shall lie down in her midst. Every beast of the nation, both the pelican. Wouldn't it be funny if it said the pelicans? Uh, both the pelican and the bittern shall lodge on the capitals of her pillars. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be at the threshold for he will lay bare the cedar work. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none besides me. How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down? Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. That kind of thing. So here you have Assyria. Capital of Assyria is Nineveh. And here you have this complete circle of judgment north, south, east, and west. It's interesting, they were like, we will stand and no one can take us. Just the arrogance. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. And so, now we're in chapter 3, starting with verses 1 through 4. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? I'm trying to keep you awake after a long day at work. Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city, She has not obeyed His voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. So who are these people? He's, you know... Assyria, Ethiopia, Moab, Ammon, like all these wicked people. And then he lays into this one, whoa, to this rebellious bunch of polluted people, this oppressing city. Is it Nineveh? Is it one of these other nations' capitals? No, what he's talking about here, the oppressing city, supposed to be the city of peace, is Jerusalem. And here's why she's an oppressing city. She's not She's it says it four times. She's not, she's not, she's not, she's not. The idea is this the root of Jerusalem's sin is she's not obeyed God's voice. God's speaking, but the people aren't listening, certainly not hearing. Vibrations on the eardrum do not equate to hearing from the heart. The voice is speaking. But it's not connecting to the heart. That's the idea. She's not obeyed His voice. My sheep hear my voice. Jesus said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? We hear His voice. We obey the voice of the shepherd. But it says she's not obeyed His voice. She's not received correction. Because sometimes we don't like the voice of the Lord because He's correcting us. Hello, right? You're, you're wrong, Donovan. Stop it, Donovan. Start doing this, Donovan. She did not receive this correction from the Lord. And so, uh, it also says she has not trusted in the Lord. She, she leaned into her own understanding or somebody else's. And here's the deal. God never proved himself untrustworthy. And yet, they were like, We're not going to trust him. She's not drawn near to God. David Guzik says this, the worst offense is saved for last. God longed for relationship with his people, but they rejected his desire and went their own way. She's not drawn near to her God. In another place in the Bible, he said, draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. Verses 5-7, through the Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate with none passing by. The cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant, I said. Surely you will fear me. You will receive instruction so that her dwelling would not be cut off, despite everything for which I punished her. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds. The Lord is righteous. This, this makes the unrighteousness of His people even more stark, even more criminal, even more tragic. God's nothing been nothing but good to them. He's done nothing but right by them. And yet they responded with sin and rebellion, eventually they put themselves on the wrong side of God's righteousness. And you know what's on that side? Justice. Not mercy. You know, it's like that old joke, I shouldn't tell it. But it's Wednesday. And it's that woman, she was one of those glamour photography studios you know back in the day and she's like uh she said uh sir she said i want you i want you to get that just right you need to do me justice and he looked at her and he said ma'am you don't need justice what you need is mercy right (laughs) this is way back before all those filters and stuff on instagram ah where am i i Wow. Uh, uh, yeah. Fear me. Receive my instruction. Uh, let's go to verse. I did want to say this. Listen to this. Surely you will fear me. You will receive instruction. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds. So he's speaking to them, but they're not hearing And so he's like, I'm going to raise up these nations. They're going to bust your head, and it's going to wake you up. And you're like, oh, well, that sounds so much like Isaiah. And here you have a lot of the same stuff they're dealing with. Isaiah said, I'm speaking line upon line, precept on precept. I'm speaking. Isaiah 28, I'm speaking to you but you're not hearing me he said but you will hear me through stammering lips and another tongue now there's an application there that Paul uses in the church at Corinth that has to do with speaking in tongues and it's powerful it's great but the original intent of Isaiah 28 he's saying i've sp- i've sent my prophets I sent you the country boy prophets. I sent you the city boy prophets. I've sent my prophets. They've spoken plain to you. But you're not listening. You've hardened your heart. You've stuck your fingers in your ears. You've closed your eyes. Lest you see. Unless you're healed. You're not hearing anything I'm saying. And he said, but I'm going to get through to you. With stammering lips in another tongue. It's the lips of foreigners. When you are in Babylonian captivity and you're a slave and you do not understand Chaldean, which is the language they spoke, you speak Hebrew. When they're talking and chattering and you don't understand those stammering lips and that other tongue, it's communicating to you that you have not heard what I've had to say, but you're starting to get it now. It, that's the idea. It sounds so much like that. You, you're going to fear me one day. The Bible says one day, every knee will bow. Ahab, Jezebel, Hitler, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. I mean, it is a, every knee, every tongue. Not just the Christian, not just the Messianic Jew, not just the Jew. not it, Every knee, every, every atheist, every professor that blasphemes the name of God, every false prophet, every false religion, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess your Lord. And timing is everything. You want to get on the right side of that. Right? You want to get on the right side. Of it. Because there's a time whenever whoever calls on the name of the Lord is saved. And it is not at the end when everybody finally knows or acknowledges. That's a whole other story. But why don't you stand with me right now? I say, bless him, Lord. It worked. <laughs> Aren't you glad for the mercy and the grace of God? His favor, I mean, the fact that he would want to correct us, you know, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Thank God for that. Would you just close your eyes? Father, I thank you, Lord, for this little book of Zephaniah. And the fact that we see it once again. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.